Well, Christmas Eve brings a lot of traditions. I don't know what some of the traditions that you may have in your family and you might partake in this evening. Um, I think one of my new traditions is going to be to have to wear this jacket every year. I've received just so many like overwhelming comments about just how glorious and magnificent it is. I think a lot of people are just kind of like taken off by the fact that I own something with a collar because, you know, I'm a pretty laid back guy. But uh, one of the traditions in, in our home growing up on my dad's side of the family was uh, we would always do something after the big family feast. And so we'd all get together at either my aunt or uncle's house, sometimes our house. The whole family would just this big old feast. And as a kid, you sit at the kid's table. And you ever realize that like when you're at the kid's table, you want to be at the adult table. But then once you're at the adult table, you really just want to be at the kid's table because it seems to be more fun. And uh, we would do this thing where after uh, like we would, we'd go through uh, the, the meal, we would all gather around the tree, and one of the men in our family would don a red vest, not as good looking as this jacket I have on, uh, but they would kind of sit in front of the tree and they would read the nativity story from Luke chapter 2 about the birth of Jesus. Now the last thing you want as a young child is to listen to some old words out of some old book for like uh, forever, and while you see your presence under the tree, getting ready to open them. And you always like scope out your presents first, like, okay, this one's got my name on it. It's about this big. Mm, I think I know what that is. It's always like super distracting. But on the other side of it, now having kids of my own, what I've come to realize is, is that what was on purpose. That a lot of times we have these traditions in order to instill something in us that we want to last. And for that one, it was to remember what brings the, us all together every Christmas, the true meaning of this season, if you will. One of my other favorite traditions that we hold to as a church is our candlelight Christmas Eve service. To remember that Jesus is the light in the darkness, in the darkness in this world, the darkness in our own lives, and that Jesus is that true light. And what I want to talk about just for a few minutes here this evening is finding joy that lasts. Because all of us will give gifts, we'll all receive gifts here in the next 24 hours. Some of you might be ahead of the curve, already open some of them. But my, I would venture to guess that some of those gifts, they will last for, I don't know, a couple weeks, a couple months, maybe a couple hours, and then you got to figure out as a parent how to fix the toy, that you, know, you didn't get the right size batteries, or whatever it is. But I want to talk about a joy that lasts, and it's the joy that unites us all together. It's the joy found in the name of Jesus Christ. If you have your Bible, uh, you can turn there to Luke chapter 2 with me, or you can follow along on the screen. We're going to read that story that binds us all together, that happened some 2,000 years ago, the birth of Jesus Christ that we celebrate and remember every Christmas season. In Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 4, it begins, So Joseph also went up to the town of Nazareth in Galilee, to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. The Old Testament prophets, they talked about that the Savior of the world must be from the line of David, so that's important. And he went there to register with Mary, whom was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. <gasps> And the glory of God shone around them, and they were afraid. Ah! But then the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. 
Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. If you joined us this past Sunday, you know that we've been going through this teaching series called Long Expected, and it's the season of Advent, the expectation, the waiting for the Savior to come. And we said that there's this period of waiting, this period of silence for 400 years, from the end of the Old Testament to the beginning of the New Testament. Four centuries, 16 generations past of kind of utter silence from God to his people. And then finally, with the birth of Christ, that silence is broken and we see God beginning to fulfill his plan for all humankind. And it's interesting what the angels say. They say we bring good news with great joy. That phrase good news is sometimes referred to as the gospel. It's kind of be uh, synonyms that can be readily exchanged with one another. And what I'd love to do with just a few more minutes is just share and remind us all of that good news, that gospel, and how and why it brings great joy in our life. One of my professors in college said, you can't talk about Christmas without talking about Easter, and you can't talk about Easter without first referencing Christmas. And so here we are at the birth of Christ. Now, the thing is, there's not a whole lot to show for the birth of Christ. He said he was born in the town of Bethlehem. He grows up in the, in the, the neighborhood, the region of Nazareth. And it was kind of just a meh place. You know, it wasn't like he was born in Chicago or New York or L.A., London, Egypt, whatever it is. It was kind of like being like, hey, the Savior of the world was born in Philo. No offense if you're from Philo, but like there just really wasn't a whole lot to show for it. Let me show you this map. This is a map of the world, and, and you see that little tiny red dot over the top of Africa, right around there. That, oh, oh, I didn't know. That's fancy. Look at that. Okay, we've circled it for you because it's really, really small, and that is Israel. It's a really, really, really small place. And if you were to go to Israel, you wouldn't be blown away by the landscape. You wouldn't really be kind of like taken back by how beautiful the land is because it's kind of like a desert. It's Mediterranean climate. There's not a whole lot to show for. And yet that is where the Savior of the world is born. In a very unique and a very unglorious birth, that's how the Son of God comes to us. Now, I've had two kids. Well, I haven't had two kids. My wife has had two kids, but I've taken part in the process. But I've been in two delivery rooms, and if you've had children, you've been in the delivery room, you know it's not a super glorious thing, right? I remember the first time when our son was born, and the doctors kind of handed him to me. I was kind of like, oh, he's kind of weird looking. Like, he's kind of purple, kind of slimy. They're like, do you want to cut the umbilical cord? I was like, uh, I guess. I don't know. This is kind of gross. You know, it's not like what they picture in the movies and TV. Like, here's this baby, and he already weighs like 40 pounds, and he smells great, and he's got a comb over already. That's not how it works. Birth is just not a super glorious thing to begin with, let alone you've all been born, but I don't think on the first night of your birth you rolled over and you were staring a sheep in the face, and it's just like, bah. And that's where Jesus was born. Now, if I got to choose how I came to earth, it wouldn't be born in a barn, right? I always like to think, like, if I got to choose, if I was this really, really important person going to change the entire landscape of humanity forever, I was God's son to be the savior of the world, I would have made a little bit more of a splash. 
You know, like I like to think of that scene from Aladdin where he gets like that first wish and he's going to woo Princess Jasmine and he's got the elephants and the song, he's got that theme song going on, everything's rocking and rolling. Like that's how I would enter, right? I'd be like, yo, check me out, I'm here, I am the chosen one, I am here to deliver salvation to all. Your boy, the Savior, the Messiah has arrived. But that's not Jesus. That's not God's way of doing things. He sends Jesus to a manger. Born of the Virgin Mary in the little town of Bethlehem, meh. A mundane, an ordinary place, nothing stellar to show for it, and yet that's how God works. God consistently uses the mundane. He consistently uses nothing that doesn't look super amazing on the outside to see his kingdom, his power, his majesty, and his glory extend. God does things differently than you or I, and thankfully, he does. The thing is, this baby grows up. And for 30 years, there's not a whole lot to show for this baby. Other than this time when he's like a teenager and his parents left him back home in Jerusalem. Like imagine being Jesus' parents and you're like going back from a trip. Oh, we forgot Jesus. Like how could you forget Jesus? Of all your kids, the one you probably shouldn't forget is Jesus. And they go back, they find him teaching. But we don't really know a whole lot about Jesus until he turns 30. And then for three years, he begins his ministry. And in this ministry, he does what only the Son of Man, the Savior of the world, can do. He brings hope to those who are hurting. He brings healing to the broken. Those who have been outcast from society, he folds them back in. Those who are looking for meaning and purpose who have been cast aside, he gives them exactly their heart's desire. He looks at the women and children. He raises them up to give them that, that, that value and importance in life. But then... He takes his final breath on a cross. So one of the things we must remember is that Jesus wasn't just born to live. Jesus was born to die. The Savior of the world to be that perfect life in our atoning substitute. So that we can stand before the altar of God in some point in eternity and say, Jesus has taken my place. That when you look at me, you don't see my sin, you don't see my brokenness, you don't see my depravity, you see the glory of your son. Jesus was born so that he may die, which started as a unique and unglorious birth led to a common and unglorious death. You see, crucifixion was a very common form of execution. It was meant to humiliate. It was meant to to give excruciating pain as if to say, hey, Look at what's happening to them. You better keep your act together. And think about it, when Jesus took his final breath, there was always already a man on his left, a man on his right. It was common, but it was anything but the way you wanted to die is certainly was not glorious. And that is the death that you and I are deserving of, an unglorious death. Romans chapter 3 says, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and yet Jesus took your place. He took my place because that is why he was born in the first place, to live, to die on a cross, to bring triumph and victory over sin and death so that we all, through faith, can have great joy that lasts for eternity. Jesus was unique in his birth, but there was something else that was just as unique in his lifetime, and that was his resurrection. See, after Jesus took that final breath on the cross, they laid him in a tomb, and three days later, he rose from the grave. 
And that is the good news of the gospel. Not that Jesus was born, not that Jesus was di- that died, because you and I alike will experience those two things, but that he rose again. And only by his resurrection does the power of his spirit live in us, bringing that great joy for all who believe. That is the good news, and it is simple. Do you believe in that child? Do you believe that the Son of God was born to the Virgin Mary? Do you believe in that young child who grew up and lived a perfect life? Do you believe that the Son of God brought hope to the hurting, healing to the broken? Do you believe that the Spirit lives in those who believe? Do you believe that the Savior of the world took his final breath on a cross only to rise from the grave three days later? Do you believe that if you repent of your sin, have faith that you are given new life for all eternity to walk boldly, courageously and humbly with God from now and forevermore. What was a unique and unglorious birth led to a common and unglorious death, but by faith we all can have a common and glorious eternity. That is the greatest joy of all. And I hope it brings you joy. Whether that's the first time of you hearing that good news and you need to receive it, I encourage you to think about that. If you're someone who's been a Christian my entire life, I've heard this a thousand times. Let it continue to bring you that great joy. Have you received that joy or not? Regardless, joy is a gift. And gifts are interesting, are they not? Because gifts are only something that you give to someone else and they must be received. I know sometimes we give ourselves gifts, like, hey, I got myself some Christmas presents. Like, that's always kind of weird, but it's a thing. I get it. I understand. You ever give somebody a bad gift, though? Like, go ahead, raise your hand slowly. You ever give someone a bad gift before? How many of you with the person, their hands up, it's like, yep, you have. Raise it higher. I know you remember that time, right? You see, you give someone a bad gift, and it's like super awkward. They open it, and they're just like, oh, thank you. A candle. Another one. It's exactly what I wanted. Totally didn't have this on my Amazon wish list, and you clearly didn't check, but thank you for this candle. And then you're like super awkward because you know you messed up, and they're like pretending to like it even though they don't. This has never happened to me or anything before. And you're kind of like, I don't know what to do. This is super awkward. Let's just kind of pretend like this situation doesn't exist. But you ever give someone a great gift? You ever give someone that gift that they didn't even see it coming and it was a surprise? Or that gift perhaps that they've been dropping hints for like nine months and you have been paying attention and you have pieced it together? You ever give that gift and they open it and their eyes get all big and they're like, oh, how did you know? Well, I'm very intuitive, honey. (laughs) You should be proud. Aren't you glad you're married to me type of situation? Like what's the best gift you ever received? The gift that maybe just didn't last but has kept on giving over time? For me, one of the best gifts I ever received was a basketball hoop when I was about eight years old. The only thing I wanted for Christmas, my parents played this awful trick where they pretended not to get it for me. And we have this long home video of me like throwing a fit and and crying my eyes out. And then they sent me outside, but it wasn't outside. And then I'm just throwing even bigger of a fit. Yeah, I know. Pray for my soul. I'm okay. All right. But the interesting thing is this basketball hoop, when I got it when I was eight, stayed in our driveway till this past year when Rust finally got a hold of it. Year after year after year, that gift brought me great joy. 
It was a chance to connect with friends when I was bored or had nothing to do. I would go outside and shoot. It brought my mom great joy. When I was being a little turd in the house, she'd kick me out and gave me something to do outside of her presence, right? The gifts that keep on giving are amazing. But the thing is, any gift that you give today or tomorrow, any gift that you'll open within the next 24 hours, there's a guarantee that it will fade. In some form or fashion, at some point in time, that gift will fade. It will, without a shadow of a doubt, rust or dry up. But there is one gift that you and I can commonly share that never fades, that cannot be taken from you, that does not rust away, that it gets better each and every day we realize the gloriousness and the joy of that, and that is the gift of faith in Jesus Christ. How do we receive that gift? Let me share this with you from the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 10. One simple verse for how we receive this gift of great joy. Paul says this in Romans 10. He says, For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. That's it. It's the only way you receive this gift of joy. Some of us, I think, we have this idea of, of Santa Claus theology. That, that God is like up in heaven and he's got a naughty list and a nice list. And that if you've been a good little boy and girl this year, you get on the nice list and then God is obligated to do stuff for you. That you've kind of gotten your act a little bit together. This year was a little bit more in line than last year. And so therefore, God's got to kind of deliver on his end of the bargain. And we think that, that if we behave well enough, then that God is somehow obligated to give us what we want. And we've, we've made it onto his nice list and I got to just do whatever I can to not mess it up. But if there's a nice list, and then by that theology, there's also a naughty list. And none of us want to be on the naughty list, right? Like, we don't want to be getting cold from God. We don't want to be on the bad side. But the truth of the matter is, is we're all on that naughty list. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short. And God says, but I'm a good God. God is not Santa Claus. We don't have a God of Santa Claus theology. We have a God of grace, a God of love, a God of mercy, a God of compassion, a God of joy and graciousness each and every day. I encourage you to think about that, to consider that great news. You don't earn your way or prove your worth before God. Whether you think you're on the good list or the naughty list, the nice list, God says you still need one thing, and that is my son, who was born in a manger, who lived, died, rose again so that you can have great joy. And that is the joy that we share together. The angels, they almost couldn't hold it back. Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace with on whom his favor rests. You get God's favor because of Jesus. You get God's favor because of what Jesus did, not because of what you do. I don't know about you, but for me, that's really good news because I'm not the best person. I wouldn't probably say in the grand scheme of things when my life is said and done that I would really believe I'm on the nice list over the naughty list. But I'm grateful and believe that only through the faith of Jesus Christ that we get to receive that great gift of joy. 
So my question is, is do you share in that joy or not? If you don't have a church home, I invite you to find one, whether that's here or somewhere else in our community. If you're visiting family or you're visiting friends and you're not from this area, go home and worship and celebrate, share in that joy with a community of other Christians who say each and every week we gather to celebrate and sing of that great joy. If you don't have a church home, I invite you to check us out on Sunday starting in January. We're beginning this series of the book of Philippians talking about that greater reward from the, that we have and receive from that great joy given from Jesus Christ. But each and every week, we sing those praises because of the life that Jesus has given to us. So as we wrap up our, our message time this evening, I want to share one verse from the words of Jesus in John chapter 10 about what he delivered with us and for us in that joy. John chapter 10, Jesus says this about himself. He says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. That is why we have great joy in Jesus Christ. Joy has a name, and his name is Jesus. I invite you to find as much joy as you can in that place this week, this year, for your entire life. Find joy in Jesus because that is the one gift that will never fade. We're going to transition into a time of communion uh, corporately, and I invite you to get out your communion elements with me this evening if you have them. If you didn't have a chance to grab them, you can slip out of your seat right now if you want and grab them uh, by the giant tree. Uh, We call it our Baptist tree. Okay, dad joke over, moving on. And we're going to remember the source of that great joy together this evening. We'll begin with the bread. You can get out the little tiny stale cracker that we so generously give to you. This represents, though, when Jesus was with his disciples in the upper room on his last night before his death, he said, taking the bread, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat. And then Jesus held up the cup, held up the wine, He said, this is my blood shed for you. Take and drink. Do this in remembrance of me. I invite you to pray with me as we continue to worship this evening. Heavenly Father, we give you all praise as best we can because you and you alone are holy and worthy of our praise. God, I I pray for each and every person in this room tonight. Christmas season is full of a lot of emotions, sometimes stress or worry or, or angst. I pray that your peace that surpasses all understanding through the power of your spirit overwhelms them. They need to take a breath that you remind them to do that. They need gracious words that you give them to kind words, gentle words, patience, if they need it. God, may we find joy in the ability to give good gifts to one another. May we find joy in the moments and the seasons that we share with one another. 
May we make great lasting memories over this next few days. But may we also reflect that as we string together Christmas after Christmas after Christmas, that there is only one single thread that hangs on the top of it all, tying each and every year together. And that is not a gift, but a person. And that person is your son, Jesus. We thank you for his life. We thank you. We remember his birth. Remember the reason that he was born. We express faith. We repent of our sin. We believe in the power of your gospel and may it instill in us a great joy. Lord, help us to find a joy that does not fade as the weeks or the months go on. We thank you, Lord, that you are the still, small voice in the silence, and you are the light in the darkness. We worship you and you alone this evening.